This podcast is supported by IFC Films, presenting Wildlife. Carrie Mulligan and Jake Gyllenhaal star in actor Paul Dano's directorial debut in theaters everywhere starting November 2nd. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. This year at the New York Film Festival, we had our third annual Film Comment Filmmakers Chat, where we gather together directors whose movies are screening in the festival. The mixture of talents and sensibilities is always invigorating, and the conversations give an insider's insight into the art and craft of making movies. It's also a lot of fun. For the latest edition, I was joined by Louis Gorel, director of A Faithful Man, Jody Mack, director of The Grand Bazaar, Alex Ross Perry, who directed Her Smell, and Albert Serra, director of Roi Soleil. Let's go to the conversation. So, you know, I was trying to think what could connect all the films that you, you have, each of you made, and I decided that's kind of a fool's errand, so, you know, I didn't really want to try. But one thing that struck me about, about all the films is that they're all playful in different ways with, with cinema, uh, and in very different ways. And, um, and I, you know, for example, you know, Alex, I think you sort of set yourself a challenge um, with, with, with your film to how to make a film about, you know, a sometimes disagreeable performer, about a part in history that isn't really always chronicled. And, and you know, Jody, I think by any measure, your, your, your film is <laughs> a kind of a, a challenge in terms of its, it, the making of it and using, you know, stop motion and, and incorporating that. And I should probably stop there because I don't want to give all of you like thumbnail summaries. But uh, um, I mean, Louis, do you want to start talking about uh, your film? It, it seems that it's it's so very French that it must be aware of how French it is. <laughs> Yes, uh, hello, everyone. Uh, no, I, as I was saying, you know, I decided in the beginning because you, you, we have like a big weight on the shoulders in France. It's the new wave. So, um, and not the new wave in general, the idea of the new wave, because I think uh, new wave filmmakers, they are much more than what the idea is. I mean, you can resume the new wave, and if you resume the new wave, you have black and white, love, uh, friendship, street of Paris, and uh, funny music and uh, <laughs> and uh, that's okay so when we i decided to make the movie i said okay let's take the worst uh, the worst things to make a movie a, a french movie so a voiceover two women one man streets of paris coffees and love uh, triangle something like this so like this, I can be very like I could be like be beaten by uh, people, okay. <laughs> and that's all because also I, I I went to see Jean Claude Carrière, who was 87 years old, and he's not a big fan of all the new wave films. You know, he's it's not like me, which is a boy who was born with the new wave. And even when I don't like a Jacques Rivette's movie, I can't even saying to myself, I don't like it. You know, I said no, I like it. You know, because it's the new wave. It's sacrilege. So yeah, a bit. <laughs> So it was a, I mean, the movie is a game with the idea of uh, the French cinema and also the idea of the French cinema outside the country. So we had, and we had with Jean-Claude, to play with the expectation of the audience. So I think he succeeded that, Jean-Claude, because he's very, he's not psychological. I mean, when he writes 
movies is he hates psychology me it's i mean it's a very hard time to get off i think albert because i know very much albert he's not psychological i mean he's, he's much uh, good than me you know because he hates psychology and he doesn't work but me even as an actor i love psychology i used to love psychology so Jean-Claude Carrière, who is 87 years old, the screenwriter of the film I work with is 87. He was trying to push me, like, don't make links sometimes. Don't try to connect things to one thing to another one, because audience, it's much more intelligent than you think they are. They, they are. I mean, not I know you, uh, people are intelligent, but it's not like they're stupid. But <laughs> it's true that when you make movies, when you watch a movie, you you're so quick and it's making a movie you don't realize how quick we are you you forgot how quick you are when you watch a movie so after a minute the audience knows what's going to happen i mean they have a feeling of what's going to what's going to happen after albert is not like this at all because after it's he works with the not the abstraction at all but in the way he's filming you you, you don't even imagine what's going to happen but me because i'm more narrative than albert for example you're more a poet than a, a narrat, uh, you know Narrative, uh, narrative filmmaker. Albert, you can defend yourself. Are, yes. are you a poet? <laughs> this is true. Well, maybe. I don't know. With this idea of uh, I don't know, not preparing a lot of meanings before the shooting and trying to that uh, you know these meanings or this I don't know this content, no narrative content will appear uh, sooner or later. But you know, not because of me. And this is true. And in this film I present here, this is was done in a very radical way because. You know, when I shoot the film, I didn't know that they will do a film. You know, I was shooting there just with one camera, what is totally uh, uncommon for me. I always use three cameras. So I said, oh, let's, I don't know why, why I was shooting it. And then, uh, well, we finished the shooting and then uh, we start to see the images. And you know, the, we discovered that the film was there, that there was the real men, really the images start to speak by themselves and that I don't know. The, the film really was done after the shooting. <laughs> started, the film grew up after the, not grow up, but, you know, really was born after the shooting. When I was doing it, I didn't, because it was the shooting of a performance, so I was not allowed to say anything to the actor during the performance, because I, was, I wanted to be respectful to this format of a performance. And then, okay, as I didn't say anything, what we have in the film was, you know, all this process of an actor working. And uh, the, for me, was, this was fascinating, and I agree with what uh, uh, Louis said, because then you see, you know, suddenly you see the character, because he's playing the role of Louis XIV, but then suddenly, you know, 20 seconds after, you see the actor as, as a performer, you know, even without the character, without anything, you know, without just the beautiful of the gesture, or just the, you know, really an actor working, but, you know, in the emptiness of of, of non, not having a character, not having a narrative, not having anything. Yeah. And then suddenly, you know, it was so, so painful, all the situation, you know, lying on the floor and all these things that you start to see the person, you know? And I, this was not controlled by me because I was there just looking and shooting with one camera. So uh, the film really, really was born. That's, that's the why the movie is so good because you can imagine Albert Serra, which is the most crazy Spanish director right now in a very good way. He works. He worked with Jean-Pierre Léo, mm -hmm. who is an actor that he works also as a director, Jean-Pierre Léo, when he plays because you never knows what he's going to do on a frame. He's always like this. Jean-Pierre Léo, it's, it's, he's an actor that you can't relate him to other actors. He's by himself. I know it's like a... 
commit une étoile. Il est un performer parce qu'il ne répète pas les choses de la même façon. Il est aussi un performer, un pur acteur, parce que le caractère existe, et il y a Louis XIV dans le film avec Jean-Pierre Léo, mais il a fait, même si je ne répète pas les choses de la même façon. Mais ok, nous faisons des variations de la même façon, mais Jean-Pierre est incapable de répéter les choses de la même façon. So every every moment it's, it's unique. It's uh, and he's also like this, no, a performer, a pure actor, uh, even uh, independently of representing one character or not. Or yeah. so there is some uh, some points, and I yeah. like it to to work this way because you know the meanings he creates are also unpredictable yeah. and very uh, you know very yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. It's and I mean part of what's fascinating here is that I mean I mean Jody, you are often a performer when you know when you. With your films, um, both in the making of them, you know, and staging it, and you you do some of the music, um, but even you know, like with a prior film, Dusty Stacks of Mom, that you you did, you would perform with that film. So there's an aspect of, of performance with your filmmaking, and also it just strikes me that in contrast, you're it's kind of a one-person band to a certain extent. Uh, could, I mean, could you talk about the? I mean, that's a lot of that's a great burden to have, but it might also be pretty liberating, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think I go back and forth on whether it's a blessing or a burden. I'm an experimental filmmaker, and I think my education kind of planted in my head, like, structure is bad and Hollywood is evil. Don't mess with that. Um, yet, as I go on and my ideas get larger, I really do see the benefits of working with a group of people um, because it can be, you know, extremely isolating and stressful to work alone, yet at the same time, You don't need to rely on other people. You don't need to pay them. Um, you don't have to talk to anybody. Um, it's It can be quite liberating. So I think it can go back and forth because I actually really do enjoy collaborating mm -hmm. and I really enjoy working on other people's films, oh, yeah. um, which is something that I didn't really have too much experience with growing up. Um, but I do feel that, I mean, You know, I'm hearing this sidebar conversation um, about the relationship between a director and actor. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, a, you know, from my personal perspective, there's an inherent fundamental relationship between animation and acting. Um, when you think about the idea of animation, the definition of animation, to bring life to something. Well, every time you're acting, you're bringing life to a new character. Essentially, you're like giving birth. Yeah. to a new character within your individual body. And in the same way as a director, you're working with a similar sort of um, birthing or engineering of yeah. sorts. Um, so I don't know. I yeah. can't promise next time I come back and be alone. <laughs> um, and, and Alex, I mean, uh, you know, just continuing a kind of thread between, between your, your film and, let's say, Bois Soleil, uh, both of them struck me as death journey films to a certain extent. Um, um, with, with Albert's film, I mean, we're kind of watching someone just expire, more or less. Um, and in your film, part of the suspense is, is, you know, how far will Becky something, which is the name of the character, I just, it's not that I can't remember her last name. Um, the character's name is Becky something. How far will she go? How far will she push everyone else? How far will she push herself? Well, perhaps, perhaps. You, you know, the, uh, the movie that I made her smell Uh, it's just five long scenes. Each one's about 20 to 25 minutes long. And if there's like a, if there is a sort of unifying thing to mention in relation to the other comments that have been made, it's that yeah, it, it is about pushing it. But for me, you're talking like in the narrative of the movie. Yeah. For me, it's, it's what Louis was just saying. And from what I understand about the mm -hmm. way you've made your films from people I know who 
visited the set or been in them or just reading interviews with you and the way you just described your own work, it's that the process is its own kind of creative idea. Mm. You know, you're talking about not talking to the actor during the filming of this performance. And, you know, I, some of the films I know that you've made with your father, I've seen him here do Q&As. He says, you know, one take, something like that. Yeah. And just to, to make the creation of something its own creative challenge rather than just saying, this is the way work must be made. Mm. This is the way we must service the production of a film is really fun for me now, especially that I've you know, made six movies of my own and been involved with many others. I'm, I'm now always chasing something in the creation of it that is its own challenge. In the case of Her Smell, it's based sort of on the narrative, which is that you have a character who's spiraling out of control, therefore we have 25-minute scenes, therefore the challenge is how do you shoot a 25-minute scene? Right. You know, to, to sort of find the, the, the production reason for that is very fun for me. Yeah. And to sort of create a, 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 an atmosphere while making the movie that is a creative challenge in and of itself. Obviously, the work is creatively challenging, hopefully, but then the actual making of it should be its own little adventure. Yeah. Is something that I really now pursue very much uh, while thinking of how to make the movie. And, and you mentioned, you know, you said, how do you take an element that, you know, you take these elements and then you flip them. People have expectations in a movie. This is something that was very much on my mind making this film, which is very much inspired by theater. Five acts, five scenes. You go see a play, you don't know how long the thing that you're seeing is going to be. The first scene in a play could be 90 minutes, five minutes, one hour. You don't, you have no idea. And that to me is so unpredictable and so fun. And cinema very rarely has that. Mm -hmm. And I want to try to do a film that when it began, you think this scene will be over in three or four minutes. That's how movies work. And then 20 minutes later, the scene is still going on. And you're thinking, when will this end? Yeah. <laughs> but Maybe in a, it won't. In, in a good way. Yeah, well, I hope. I hope. <laughs> yeah. And then the second scene begins and you, you hopefully think, will this be 25 minutes long or does the movie follow normal rhythms now? So it is just for me about finding like some creation in the actual production of something that makes it a very peculiar challenge of itself. Yeah. Does this does this ring true for, for each, each each of the rest of you? That, that part of it is, is setting some challenge for yourself that you kind of have to, you know, that's part of the fun, that's part of the, the effort, but that's also part of the satisfaction is reaching that. For example, like Albert, you're you're revisiting, you know, a, a character, a persona, a a historical figure that you've shown before. So, you know, is, is that a special challenge trying to find a new way of approaching it? For one thing, you have a different actor, which you've already talked yeah, about. Yeah, but not in this case, because as I told before, I yeah. didn't know when I was shooting that this it will be a be, film. Yeah. So when I was shooting, there was no idea. No, yeah, there was yeah. no project, no no goal, no nothing. But when, when you were, you know, cutting it together into something. Yes, then obviously the interest grows up when you see the images and... Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it was very strange in this case. But I like this idea he said about the length, because this is very important also in my cinema, mm -hmm. the length of the scenes. Because I always shoot more or less the, the, the same length of scenes. One hour, one hour and a half of, with three cameras. I have always, you know, rushes from one hour and a half, around 90 minutes, between one hour and two hours, usually. All the scenes have the same length on the rushes. Three cameras, it's around three hours, three hours, four, five hours. And then there is a scene that in the film, final film, we have two minutes. There is others that have 10 minutes and the others have 30 seconds. So for me, it's like what you said. And then, no, 
yeah. how long a scene will be. Right. And, and this creates this unpredictable feeling that you said that it's quite rare to find in cinema. And uh, that it's, you know, it's, it's growing up organically because, you know, if, uh, when I decide to, that in a scene it will be, uh, I don't know, in the final film one minute or two minutes, it's because, I don't know, there is some kind of scientific <laughs> approach to the material I have shoot that uh, this has to be 30 seconds or, you know, or one, two minutes or five minutes or, I don't know, 12 minutes. And, uh, you know, but you discover this during the edit. So not, not in the shooting because all are one hour or two hours maximum of, yeah. almost all the same. I always yeah. spend the same time on every scene. It doesn't matter. Sometimes if there is, you know, something very complex with a lot of people, maybe it can take more time. But in general, I like, you know, this frame of time of, 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 of one, between one hour and two hours. So yeah. I don't know. If, uh, it's unpredictable because yeah. it's really unpredictable Genuinely. because it's, you know, the length it's discovered afterwards. Yeah. And the narrative importance of the scene also, because with the length it comes the narrative or the dramatic importance of what you have been doing. So, and uh, I like to work this way. Yeah, yeah. And I think almost a little relevant, you know, is the sense of rhythm in, in a film and, and finding finding the pace and, and, and how that comes out of the editing. And I'm particularly fascinated by, by Jody's film in this regard because it's it must require a, you know, a great deal of very micro down to the second planning um, to assemble it from, from the parts, uh, you know, the stop motion parts. So, I mean, could you talk about that process and how you find the rhythm of a film? Sure. Um, well, my particular film that I'm showing this year is a feature-length musical with 12 different songs. Um, and I've completed stop-motion animation for each one of those songs. Um, and the way I structured the entire piece as a whole, the piece is about textiles, so I structured it like a textile, where each song was a row of motifs, and each moment between each song was a decorative line in between the rows of motifs. And... The general structure of it is sort of like one continuous denouement, as if you start at the climax and continue to go down throughout the entire film. Um, so there's kind of different rhythmic arrangements that happen um, on the macro level of the entire film, being like, how is this thing going to work as one? But then also on a, a micro level. So a lot of the things I do, a silly technical thing, is that I will time out music in advance so, for example, any musicians out there? Cool, don't tell me how much I don't know about music, because I really <laughs> don't know much. But the stuff that I do know includes um, timing this thing out. So if you had something in 4-4 four, four tempo, like 1, 2, 3, 4, and 2, 2, 3, 4. 3, 2, 3, 4. Um, in 120 BPM, you can divide that into cinematic time. So it would mean that each time you have one bar, 1, 2, 3, 4, that's actually 48 frames. So every note, every quarter note, excuse me, it would be 12 frames. Every eighth note would be 6 frames, etc. You can do the math on the dots and things like that. So that allows you to have super meticulous control of what you'll do um, and how it will relate to your soundtrack, especially if it's musical. That said, um, synchronization in music, in sound and cinema, as many of us know, is usually an illusion. So you can often work your way around that as well on a micro level. Yeah. This brings me to another aspect of timing is comic timing, which is, maybe I'm clunky here, but Louis, in your film, <laughs> I felt like the opening couple of scenes is like 
you know, also very kind of down in a second, you, you can, it, you know, the way you're introducing the characters, it's, 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 it's all down to the timing and, and setting the tone from, from the outset. Um, the, the kind of awkward, sudden, unanticipated, very messy, but very contained breakup <laughs> moment. Yeah, because, you know, me, I, I'm much more, because, you know, I come from stage. So when you're on stage, you want people who don't leave the theater. So this is a little bit my, my obsession because I'm not so brave like they, when I'm making a movie as a director. So for example, I know, I'm going to answer to the question, but oh, sure. you know, I was, there is a connection between your two comments, but you, you say like Divided has the theater five acts and they, you, you made a movie about Le Roi Soleil, but there is a connection because Molière, you know, I, I mean, I know from Ariane Mushkin, which is a famous uh, director for stage. She's so, so brilliant. She, she said, you know why a, a play was divided in five acts? It's because they were lighted, they were lighted the stage with candles. And the candle at the end, it was finished. So they divided five acts. But I know, I know me, I'm sure about what I said. After 50 minutes of uh, like a masterpiece, even like La, La Dolce Vita of Fellini, you start to be a little bit like tired about the movie. I mean, you lose your attention after the 50 minutes. So I'm super aware. I know you don't care about uh, that. I'm sure because you're brave. Me, I'm not brave. I know you're going to fight against, because you fight against the audience also. That Me, I don't fight against the audience. I'm much more like a, what can I say? Like a studios guy. I mean, the, the guy who wants to be, because you know, I was super bad at school and I was super uh, uh, with the teacher. That like this, I couldn't passed to another level, you know, but I was super, so I'm a little bit like this all the time. But so I'm like this with the audience that I know after 50 minutes, they're, they're going to have a loose of attention. So, and to connect that to the theater, and that's, it's, uh, okay, it's about, sorry, it's about uh, Carlo Goldoni, he was an Italian writer for stage. And he invented the, more or less, the personage of Arlequin, Arlecchino, the guy who's make fun on stage. And you know, every Arlequino, sometimes there were actors, they were doing Arlequin for life. I mean, one character for life. So they know that they have to invent some Lazzi, what they call in Italian, Lazzi. Lazzi is the thing that you make on stage to make people laugh. Like this, because you know, they, it's very hard to follow and then to not be bored, even in front of a masterpiece. But if you got some small Lazzi, you know, ah, you love, then you can wait for another Lazzi, because this is my point of view. We wait a little for love lots of time when you watch a movie. So if you know there is at different points, there is a Lazzi or there is a, a small joke, you know, you're going to keep the attention of the audience. And for the answer to the, um, to the first question, you know, I already directed the, my first movie and I realized that the action of my first movie began after 17, 17 minutes, huh. which was super long, which was too long. Because I want to, to get the, the, the attention. And after 17 minutes, it was too long. Because I watched so many Raoul Walsh movies, for example. There was one fantastic called Manpower. After three minutes, you've got the action. Talking about Truffaut, Jules and Jim, 15, five minutes, you get the action, they meet Jeanne Moreau. So I wanted a movie who starts right away without this terrible thing that we have in, in cinema. But that's the time of exposition who, who takes so long sometimes. Right. And the exposition for me, it's so boring. So Jean-Claude Carrière, he wrote a scene, like the action starts after 20, 20 seconds. Mm. And I'm talking that I'm, I know you don't work like this at all, which is very funny because me, I'm super, 
I'm like, uh, if I think about who, Moliere, you know, I want to keep the, the I want the money from the, the cash <laughs> machine. At the end, I don't do that. Right. Well, you, you know, you, you mentioned just now watching Raoul Walsh movies. Um, and uh, I'm, that makes me curious, would each of you, what, what are for each of you is, is the kind of movie or movies that you return to, you know, either just as like comfort movies or movies just to kind of, you know, recharge your batteries and kind of, you know, remember all the, you know, wonderful and strange things you can do with a movie. Uh, Albert, do you, is there anything you, you, you watch repeatedly? I watch uh, analytically, you know, films linked with the film I am preparing. Okay. It's, so, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the way I more often watch films now. Yeah. Or the, some ideas or some filmmakers that, you know, with the smaller strategies that I want to copy or that I want to learn something. Mm -hmm. But it's always, you know, in a very analytical way. You yeah. know, to watch film for the pleasure of watching films, it's a long time ago I don't do it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Well, no, or, uh, sometimes I like to see the films of my colleagues nowadays, you know, young uh, filmmakers or, <laughs> you know, that what they are doing or people, I really appreciate the, the style and yeah, yeah. I like to follow, you know, what's going on now, nowadays. Yeah. In the, what's, what's the last film you saw in the theater, uh, in the cinema? I was preparing a retrospective because I had to do the, the public talk with, uh, for the Cinematheque in Barcelona with Love Diaz. Oh. So <laughs> I had a painful work. <laughs> Of watching uh, several, Long not a painful uh, in the in the good sense. Tiring. Uh, yeah, tiring war, and I saw almost all the. Uh, not all, but I mean. What do you mean seven. painful in the good sense? What does that mean? <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Well, because I'm obliged, uh, I'm obliged to say that. In the good sense is that, uh, well, one was eight hours, the other was seven hours, the other was four hours, and the other was, you know, yeah. inevitably I was preparing this, you know, two weeks before, so I watched yeah. almost all during two weeks. So it was. It was a big pleasure, but also a little bit painful because of the stress of trying to really watch it in a, you know, in a yeah, in, yeah. A, in a deep way. Yeah. I mean, just to not to say interesting things about the films, because that's true that the only way to, to really, you know, you have to be concentrated. If not, you know, no, yeah. it yeah. has no sense. And but I don't know. I don't see yeah. a lot that's of uh, films. Uh, yeah. Well, that's, that's I saw the Pasolini, for example, Salo, because now I finished the shooting of a film that is inspired by the Libertinage and Marquis de Sade, and oh. there was some explicit sex, and I saw the Pasolini Salo, and I saw, you know, mm. yeah. uh, La Religieuse, I saw uh, some of the films that are related to the, I saw um, this film uh, of uh, Al Pacino here in Central Park, you know, the gay film. Uh, oh, Cruising? Uh, Cruising, yeah. Okay. Uh, no, so these films that are related sort of with uh, various, I like to see very strange, different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the main influence doesn't come from films. So. Yeah, no, for sure. And Alex? Well, it depends. I mean, I, you know, I feel like I also, when I, was, when, when I was younger and there were less movies in my world, I would watch the same ones over and over. Whereas now, I, you know, I try to, if I'm revisiting something now, I try to revisit it because it's screening in the theater, just not to be a boring purist about it. Oh. But you're in the right crowd, I think. <laughs> I know I am. I feel safe. But, film lovers. You know, like if, you know, like you mentioned Cruising, like that's a film that if it's screening, I'll probably try to go see it because I love it and I've seen it many times. But seeing it in the theater on 35 millimeter, which I've done maybe four times in the last 10 years, that's to me is like, for, so it's just more comforting. You know, I was talking the other day, so I made this music movie. So I started thinking about music movies and then I started not wanting to watch them. But then, like two months ago, Velvet Goldmine screened here, and I hadn't seen it in years, but I knew it was important 
but then it was so important I didn't want to look at it again because I thought it would puncture what I was doing. Mm. So then when her smell was nearly finished, I went and saw it and it made me feel terrible because it's a million times better. <laughs> and then it made me feel great because I think they did a worse job with the music dubbing <laughs> and they had way more money. Okay. But, but they, they, you know, they seem to know how to shoot actors who mm. can't play all their instruments properly. Okay. Whereas, whereas we just kind of bluffed our way through it. But yeah. they, they obscured a lot of instruments by putting audience members in the concert back of their heads in front oh, of right people in front playing, of the guitar or something. In front yeah. of the actors playing, the actors, which right. is very smart. Um, whereas we just did it in close up. So I feel like, you know, I, it is, it is just also like, analytical watching. Huh? <laughs> analytical. I couldn't yeah. believe yeah, I couldn't Critical. I could not look at it and say, how did they edit these concert scenes? Yeah. But you know, it's just to me like that's why I kind of love even like the 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 phrase like you go to the theater you're like oh I revisited Velvet Goldmine I revisited this like it does feel like sort of a return to some place you've traveled once before. Mm. Whereas I feel like if you're at home you're rewatching something uh, which uh -huh. feels more mundane. Right. Whereas I could easily say I like you know went to you know went went out got on the train went and revisited this movie or like earlier this year the biggest kind of like. Also screening across the street, I don't remember why, was Breaking the Waves, oh, which I hadn't seen in 15 years. And I never, I always knew it was, I liked it. I always said, oh, it's a great movie. Yeah. And watching it across the street, it felt like revisiting like a memory that I had never seen before. And it was, I, I instantly became one of my top 20 favorite films of all time, even though I already liked it. Yeah. But watching it in the theater on like a January freezing day by myself, it really felt like going back to some place I had been, but had, but had only been as a child and didn't understand. Mm -hmm. So that kind of sense of like, even just saying I went and revisited Breaking the Waves, yeah. you know, it, it, it becomes like a mythical place instead of just like, yeah, I put it on at home. Popped it and, in. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I did then immediately buy it, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I would be more apt to see it in the theater again than put on the, the DVD yeah. that I bought. Yeah, and, and Jody, how about you? I'm notorious for joking about hating cinema. Because my films take so long to make, I feel like I have a lot less time than most to be able to sit and watch cinema because watching cinema is such an act of generosity with your time. You know what I mean? And like to give two hours to something is not usually worthwhile to me. For those that don't understand the, um, the, the process of animation, you have to take 24 frames for one second. 24 photographs. So my movie here has 85,220 photographs in it. And if you do that while you're watching movies, you're just really not doing either one right, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. So I always yeah. joke that I hate movies. Um, even though I don't, um, <laughs> I watch a lot of musicals, of course. I love the pajama game. Oh, Been yeah. singing West Side Story all day uh -huh. because... Leonard Bernstein's name was on the steps outside. Mm -hmm. um, I love The Cantor's Son. I don't know if anyone knows that. It's kind of like a Yiddish jazz singer. It's incredible. Um, Tommy, Xanadu, <laughs> kitschy, campy, showy yeah. movies. But then I also, you know, reflect a lot upon um, a lot of video art. Someone like Tom mm -hmm. Rubinitz. Mm -hmm. um, and, and artists as well, you know, and, and animators, Len mm -hmm. Lai, Oscar Fischinger, Scott Stark. Mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like I'm really drawing from a lot of things yeah. Yeah. and the, the closest time-based art form that I have is really music because it's something that allows me 
to be in motion while I'm consuming it. Um, I love to move, which is why yeah. I work in movement. Yeah. And it's hard to sit still through these movies, you know? <laughs> 50 minutes in, I'm like, oh. Ah, you feel that. I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Five feel minutes that. in, I'm like, oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's getting worse right now, I think, even with the, with the kids that I, that I know also. I mean, the attention, so you have to... But for example, it, came, it comes an idea in my head because, you know, I... I, I play on my film and I direct a movie and 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 when I rewatch Charlie Chaplin's movie and thinking of Charlie Chaplin's working without a monitor on set this is how you get that Charlie Chaplin is a genius I mean this is the right word for him because like doing so many movies without having the monitor and without controlling what he's doing this is why I think he re reshoot uh, you know Les Lumières de la Ville, what the city lights. I think city he, lights, he yeah. shoot that two times. Oh, is it another one? You don't know, huh? You don't like Chaplin? No, yeah. no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm joking. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know, no, the, I think, don't know the particulars. No, no, I know. No, I'm sorry. No, but it's because, you know, uh, and, I and I discovered that Jerry Lewis was the first director who had the monitor on set because he needed to rewatch the scene after. Right. So, and I don't know, what do you feel after shooting a movie? This is my question. Do you feel all the other movies are the worst, uh, uh, worse than you? Because, you know, when you shoot a movie sometimes, I don't know if you agree, you have to think that you are making the best movie of the world. I mean, I mean the entire planet. So sometimes, it, 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 does it happen to you when you just shoot a movie that your movie is the... Is, is better, for example, than La Dolce Vita or, or, or Eight and a Half? No, not at all. I'm sure, Albert, you feel like this all the time? No, I try to compare just with the movies that previously I checked with the same subject ah, okay. and try that ah, it's simply that? better than these ones. Ah. Uh, not even, I know, better than some masterpieces of the film history, but better than the movies that deal with the same subject than I checked before. For mm. me, that is enough. Yeah, yeah. Or that at least there are some moments that it will be better than, you know, the best moments of the, this film. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. for me, that's enough. Yeah. This podcast is supported by IFC Films, presenting Wildlife. Carrie Mulligan and Jake Gyllenhaal star in actor Paul Dano's directorial debut, based on the novel by Richard Ford. USA Today raves Wildlife is exquisite, with Mulligan giving an awards-worthy performance that crackles and flares. Well, I want to make sure the audience has uh, a chance to ask some questions. Wait, can I just chime in really quick? Oh, sure, yeah, Because I please, actually do. feel that that's like a really, I don't want to generalize, but male yeah. reaction hmm. um, to making movies. I personally feel that my movies are the worst. No, me, and I know. There's no reason I should like work on another one. There would be no reason to make another one if it was the best. You know what I mean? So. Mm -hmm. No, that's no, not the male reaction. I said when you shoot the movie, because I mean, so many movies exist on, on, on the earth, you know. Why making another one movie? So, you know, we're going to make another one movie after all that movie that I didn't see. I'm going to add, add a new movie who's going to be not so good. You know what I mean? So you have to convince yourself that what you do is very good. Because you know? No, you don't. Okay. No, you don't? Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I mean, no, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I think it's, but, I think it's but nice when to I, disagree. When I watch, when I'm in, I, I mean, the first day, you know, I met a French director after he was uh, shooting the movie, and it was the first week at the editing, he said, and I said, how are you? He said, you know, when I was shooting, I was God. <laughs> and, now, and, and now I'm in, at the editing room, I pay for my things. You know what I mean? And that's true. This is, the, this is a little bit... 
Um, this is a true uh, uh, that you have to convince yourself of something. I mean, for me, a little bit. Yeah. I see that. There's like a fake it until you make it kind of thing. Mm. And I'll be in the middle of a movie, like looking in the mirror, like, you can do this. <laughs> You're not a failure. You got it. You know, but I feel like, again, it's maybe a personality thing, gender yeah. thing, yeah, working by oneself as opposed to in a crew and like needing yeah. to be a leader mm. of a group as yeah. opposed to just working. You know, like, I think you do need to talk yourself into this in some respect. Yeah. Um, Can I ask you a question? Yeah. So when you're on like photograph 45,000 <laughs> and you have 40,000 more to go, are you thinking, this is going really well? Or are you thinking, <laughs> I, I, I cannot believe how much more of this there is ahead of me. There's no reason to continue. I'm just like, I'm the best. Click, click, click. I'm the best. Um, yeah, this is going really well. Yeah. That's how I feel. If I could get through 24 frames in an hour, I'm like, this is going really well. I think that went great. And I think so that. So you lied. You, you lied before. I mean, okay. <laughs> ah, okay. So tell the truth, okay? Tell the truth again. But that, that should be the opposite, the opposite sensation because I was seeing once the film uh, Leningrad Meets Moses by Aki Kaurismaki. Oh, okay. And I was watching the film, and in the middle of the film, I was asking, do these people ask themselves, is it worth to keep on with this fucking film? You know, in the middle of the shooting, you know, they really need to put the, the, this question to themselves because it was so bad. And I said, how can they keep on with this, you know? How can, in the middle of the shooting, they were able really to go ahead, you know? When it's so obvious that it's a total disaster what, you, what we are seeing there, you know? So, yeah. But I was talking before about, also, as you said, the moment of the edit, you know, that you right. really need yeah. to convince yourself on the, I was answering, right. uh, relating mm -hmm. to the moment of yeah. the edit, that you really <laughs> try to convince and give you some faith to keep on with the edit. Yeah, kind of pull it together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because you you dreamt about a film for two years, and finally you see the result, and then it's, uh, you see, uh, that's the result. I mean, for me, I mean, you know. <laughs> Two years of dreaming, and then for that. And I. No, my editor is super cool. She's uh, she's super super cool. I mean, she says it's very good. It's very good all the time. Yeah. Yes, of course, because she's a good editor. But it's true that the ed I know many directors, and I know the it's it, it's it's fake. The first week, the first week, you think it's a masterpiece. The second week, no, it's a pretty good film. And after the third week, and that's when I like to call them because I, I love when they are bad, you know, in the bad situation because I feel jealous if they are too much high. You know, I said, okay, how are you at the third week? How are you? You, you saw the first uh, uh, editing of your movie? How are you? And I know they are all like depressed and even I enjoy that. At the telephone, ah, you're depressed, huh? Because, you know, they all feel like this. I mean, all, all the directors that I know, they are like at, at the third, when the, the first day that they, they Okay, you understood me, sorry, sometimes my friends. When they saw the first editing, everybody's depressed. No, that's not true? <laughs> okay, this time. You know, this is starting to turn into, film a, film. turn into a therapy session. Alex, it's not that. <laughs> you it's see what like they go, this, through, go through for the you? First time you, you? The first time that you saw the edit of uh, Her Smell, what did you think? I thought this is a lot better than the first edit of my last movie. The first I had one? that first? of my last movie. Because on the last movie, I had that. The first edit, we thought, hmm. We have a lot of work to do in the edit room. And the first edit of this movie, we, I, I said in the editor, same editor, um, well, this one went well. 
Oh yeah? Yeah. This was a good this oh, lucky, this, this, huh? this this edit. This glided right from the shoot into the edit. Ah, you you felt that there's something. I there. felt like we finally figured it out. Oh, cool. Where like whatever we shot, <laughs> so cool. whatever we shot, just we edited it, and it was what we talked about. So so, so there's hope. On my sixth movie, yeah, I finally got there. It happened with the third movie too. So I guess. In my case, because I I always shoot uh, more than 100 hours. You know, in some films, I arrive to 450 hours of rushes. So if I am depressed, I always think, you know, there is 300 hours more, you know, things will improve, you know, so... There's got to be something yeah, in there. I, yeah, I keep yeah. the breath alive, always, so... And you know, for example, I'm going to tell a story that you're going to like, because Jean-Claude Terrier, the screenwriter I work with, he was working with Buñuel, the French period of Buñuel. He told me Buñuel was editing a movie three days, that's all, because he was shooting and it was editing during shooting, so yeah. three days of uh, three days of editing. This is like what we can the virtuosity, no? Something like yeah. that. So he spares himself some of the agony, yeah, yeah a little bit. Um, well, let's let's get a question or two in. Um, let's go uh, in the third row. I know you work alone, but for you guys, how closely do you work with the editors? Do, are you there every moment of the editing, or do you say this is what I want? And you go away and you come back. The same editor, uh, Robert Green, has edited, this is our fourth film together, and it's every day together. It's a collaboration, and I really enjoy sitting in there with him. Well, he sits, I'm laying down, generally. Uh, <laughs> Again, like therapy. Yes, very much so, except not on a couch on the floor. Uh, it's really just for my own comfort. But I like it, I mean, it's great. It, it, it's kind of something I've come to value tremendously. Whether we're reshaping the movie, as we've done in the past, or just clicking every piece into place like we did on this one. It's a very nice couple of weeks, couple of months for, for me. Also, it's a great time where I can justify um, getting takeout for lunch every day, which if I'm working at home, I don't do. So it's a very special time for me. <laughs> yep. Well, personally, I edit the films myself. Also now, because of the amount of rushes, I need some people that help me. But it's a, well, it's a strange process because I always watch all the rushes of the film and I take notes of what it has to be done in every scene because we edit all the scenes of the film. Then in the final film, we will cut a lot. But, you know, as a principle, we edit almost all the scenes of the film uh, following my notes. And we are in the same building in different, three different rooms and every editor is simply doing what I said that I had to do and I am always there. I am doing also my own part. I keep the most difficult scenes for me and I give the easiest for them. And well, well, what was, the, what was the, one of the most difficult scenes in the death of Louis XIV, for example? The dialogues, the scenes with dialogues, you know, mm -hmm. it's very difficult to, to know exactly if it's in the right tone or not, mm -hmm. because you always try to find some originality, that it's not, you know, the typical cliché of the king, and then, but you never know if it's too much, you know, if it's too ridiculous or too crazy, and with Jean-Pierre Leo that was doing always, you know, different things, you never know. Uh, no, no, it's very difficult to balance until which point you know it's original or it's simply too much. Yeah. And uh, it, it is, was a, it is a tricky point always. Yeah. You know, it's connected. I mean, to make a film, yeah. it's connected to a thing that I, I used to think when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was watching, for example, a piece of the wall and was asking myself, the color that I see, does everyone see the same color? exactly the way I'm, I'm looking at the world. So when I'm doing a movie, I'm shooting a movie, I don't know if the people, they're gonna see what I see. What I see. So the editor is with me checking, <laughs> I mean, I watch her sometimes more than the film. I watch her watch, watching 
the film because I know exactly what I want. I know the piece because I'm super focused on actors, so I know that. But I see the reason. And at the moment, huge. This is the hardest time at the in the editing room. She's another part of. Uh, she's another person. But we work for ten weeks together. That we begins too much like infusion. So we start to hate each other, and then she doesn't know. She doesn't know exactly what she think about the movie, you know, and me, me neither. And that, that's. I don't know how you do. I make projections because my my French producer is. He's a very good producer. He said, "No, if you want to edit the movie, make big projection on on a big screen, and, la and and this is how you can find the rhythm and everything." And then after, I invite people, and this is how I can watch the movie again because they watch it. I don't really care what they they tell me because I know watching the movie with them, I start to know the rhythm. I start to feel exactly a bit the rhythm. Yeah. So this is the way, I, but it's a, it's a for obsession, obsessional because I'm obsessional. It's terrible because I, you know, and this is a thing that you learn that you start to focus about little things. I mean, a movie, it's just, it's a movement. It's pulsional, you know, it's, even if you correct, no, Wes Anderson is a very obsessive director that I, I admire very much. So his obsession makes his, all, the, 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 the virtuosity of his films. And this is because you, you love to watch all that specific things. But me, I'm not so talented, so I know if maybe I can be focused for a week on the scene and I know that it's not, uh, uh, it's not good because you know, it's not, not going to change the film. And Jody, did you want to talk about the editing process as well? I mean, the, just how, how long, for example, did it take to pull together everything you had? Because you had, at that point, you're probably, you, you don't want to squander anything you've worked so hard to capture, right? Okay. Well, usually I'm editing as I'm shooting. As you're shooting, right? Um, because I shoot in camera, in camera, so I never and I don't work with a professional editor. Uh, this last film, my feature film, is an hour long, and I shot six and a half hours of footage for it, meticulously and animated. But it's not like a hundred hours or something right. like that. Yeah. Um, but it took me about a year and a half to edit it. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Hi. Yeah. Um, I have a question for Louis, actually. Um, I was trained as an actor, and I'm writing my first script right now. And there's a role in my script that I'm dying to play, but it's very difficult for me to... I mean, I'm getting very anxious for the production to direct and act myself. And I was wondering how you do it, because I've seen your previous movie and your short and this one today. I want, I want, I'm just wondering how... Do you think as a director and an actor all the time, or you switch? You can be an actor in the scene and cut, and then actually uh, judge yourself. That's what I'm, I'm wondering. You, you just have to watch Nanny Moretti's films, you know, because he's doing. Do you know Nanny Moretti? Is he famous in in America? Yes. Yeah, Carol. You Carol don't Diario. know Nanny Moretti? Oh, it's terrible. I mean, I'm sorry huh, to say that. It's a super good Italian filmmaker, but super, super, super good, super intelligent, super funny, everything. I mean, he's one of the best directors in uh, in uh, in the world. Nanny Moretti. He made a movie called Caro Diario, Journal Intime, Dear Journal, something like this. Okay, and he plays in his films, but he's it's so intelligent. I mean, he's maybe may one of okay. So watch Nanny Moretti's film, watch Buster Keaton films, watch you know you can watch. It's it's funny how many finally directors you know and actors did that uh, because there is no rules. You know, you make there is no ah I can tell you this I can do it's a big messy. It's super hard to make a movie a good movie, but it's easy to 
make something who can that you can call a movie. So do do it, but watch the people who do this. You know, you can watch Jean Renoir, for example. He did it also. You can make mistakes and everything, but it's uh, super. No, you know the thing when I, I was watching us talking, and I know, for example, when you make a movie, there is something that you control, and there is something that you don't control. And I would I don't know exactly what I mean. There is the meaning of what you, we, we are saying, but there is another story, it's us. I mean, you all, I'm sure you listen what we say, sometimes, sometimes not, but you think about another thing, about how she is, and that. this is the second meaning of the things, you know? And this is the, 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 the most difficult thing to control when you make a movie, it's the, okay, you tell the story, but there is another meaning who appears that you don't control. I think it's maybe because it's unconsciously connected to you, but you don't know it. Mm. Or because and this is the, the most difficult thing to do when you make a, a movie. You know what I mean? No, I'm so, super confusing, super confusing. No, 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 no I'm, I'm sure you, you think something about Alex, about uh, uh, Albert, you start to watch, you, you, you start to lose the, 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 the sense of what we're saying and because there is something more interesting, for example, the the eyes of uh, Albert, you know, the way he's like this, you know, is his, uh, you know, his, his head or something like this. There is something more interesting, always, because you're focused on his shoes. Or I don't know. Then you say, oh, where did he, what did he get his shoes? Well, maybe on the internet, I'm going to watch a Spanish shoes. It's going to be good. Or and the blue one of Alex. And this is the story of, uh, you know what I mean? Okay, sorry. No, I mean, yeah. no, no. Oh, this is that. It's, it's true. Uh, all right, I think we only have time for just one more uh, uh, question. So let's, in, in this s second row there in the back. Um, I had a question on critics and their feedback. Do you incorporate that in future movies? You can't, the movie is finished, so you... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, when you make another movie, do you think about, oh, that guy said, I don't know, I, you know, I'm, I'm not good with the lighting or something, and then the next movie you work really hard on the lighting. Do you read reviews of your films? Every... Single one, oh. not that much. Is it, is it useful to you, or is it just you're interested in what people are seeing? Or? Am I going to tell the truth or the, the, the film talk comment truth? I mean, uh, <laughs> we just I want the know. truth, nothing but the truth. I read every single one's critics, even one blog and everything. <laughs> because I'm super masochist. So you, you set up like a masochist. You, you set up a Google alert for your name and just read everything that comes in. And I dream to be a director who have like super reviews all the time, super super reviews. But I'm super happy once because I met Jim. I was obsessive with a one critic who hates a movie that I, the first di the movie that I directed, and he hated it. And it was because he has good taste. I was <laughs> I was obsessively thinking about him. Who, and once I met. It? And once I met James Gray, and I started to say, you know, I'm like this, and, and it was exactly the same. It was super focused, and I'm super, I admire his work, and I was obsessed with one critic. I said, oh, if James Gray is obsessed with the one uh, critic who said bad things. Yeah. Tell the truth, uh, Albert. What do you think about that? Uh, do you read your critic or, or no? No, in fact, uh, no. <laughs> I, I know, or more or less, you know, I, people explain a little bit, but no, I am not very... Obviously, you prefer that people, you know, say good things in general about the film because it's good for, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, what I really appreciate is some friends that are not critics, but people involved in the world of cinema with good taste and what they say, not what they write as a critic, but what they, yeah. what they say if they are honest people and they are yeah. always, you know, focusing on the, you know, on the tricky points or on the complex points of the film, yeah. and what they say, I always, you, you know, that. Yeah, 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 I listen and I try to 
improve on the next one, yeah. that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. This, is, this is a great question for the film comment panel. My first couple movies, yes, everything, just because I had to know. Now, if something is published in a thing I already read, because I enjoy reading about movies all the time, about myself, then I will also read it. Um, but I will not seek out additional things. So like, you know, a, a piece, good or bad, in you know, a magazine, a film comment, a cinemascope that I already read every issue about me, I have to read it because I'm already reading, I read the mag, I can't pretend I don't read this magazine. <laughs> but I don't habitually read the Hollywood Reporter or Variety. So therefore I'm not going to read those because I don't, it's not even, I don't know what those critics' personalities are. I don't know what the editorial slant of those websites, magazines are. So it's meaningless to read one review from something I've never, I don't read at all. Right. But in terms of does it shape anything, everything, like to me, it's just one thing that does, you know, Q and A's shape the next movie because you know what your movie is when people respond to it. Actors that you're describing the script to will shape the next thing because you'll know what didn't work. Reviews are just one part of that. But I think for me now, what I'm learning with this movie a little bit, um, if there is a shape, it's that I'm so, I'm amazed at what critics do and don't see. So my, my question is just, what can you put in a movie to make people see what you want them to see? It seems like generally people only really see dialogue and acting in movies. And everything else you put into it is basically invisible, but for a few very careful viewers. So the question is, if something's very important to me, and I did something, say, in Her Smell, where we have the exact same shot that repeats at two very crucial points of the narrative, same framing, same location, same actor, and critics don't notice this because they're just hung up on the dialogue. How can I create that effect in the next movie in a way that people will actually, 90% of people will notice it instead of 10% of people will notice it. But this is something you feel in Q and A's or people outside on the street after the screening or friend, you know, it's just that's one thing that kind of helps you learn what your movie was in the past tense. But you know, I, I mean, I like reading about movies, but I like hearing people just talk about them more. Like the other day I was sitting in Alice Tully and some people behind me were talking about her smell. Um, and eave, I just- Eavesdropping. Yeah, of course. That's better for me than any review yeah. because that's, a re that's real opinions. Yeah, it's a field recording. Absolutely. So. That was a fascinating, that, I learned a lot about the movie listening to these two people <laughs> talk about it. It was better than anything I've read so far. So be careful. So, sometimes I read the reviews to judge the reviews. To make a review of the review, you know, how good they are or bad, you know. And this I yeah. do it very often, or how, you know, yeah. well done or stupid or intelligent uh, is the review. You, you know? just give them or, grades, like 10, yeah. 10 out of 20 or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but uh, for example, in the new wife, in the Nobel Vac, uh, the writing has been, you know, writing about films has been, has been as important as, you know, making the films. And for me, it was a very important influence. For example, Truffaut, that I don't follow as a filmmaker, you know, as one of my heroes, but the writings are incredible. And even the, all the writings, you know, are even stronger than the Godard writings, you know. So uh, for me, it was a great, great influence. Yeah. And a lot of film critics, you know, has been has influenced me more than even the, the filmmakers. The filmmakers themselves. So uh, it's a, you know, they show you, they they teach you, no? They teach you or they show you how to how to watch a movie. In fact, yeah. So it's not, uh, it's it's more important their vision of the movie than the movie in itself. And this, you know, for a filmmaker, this is very important because it, it really, you know, puts you in a, 
Mm. I don't know, in a, in, a, in a different perspective that it's much more richer, no? Yeah. It's, it's really, it, it, it opens a, a new wall, yeah. and as a filmmaker, too. Yeah, fresh, so, pa fresh pair Yeah, 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 it's yeah. very interesting. But nowadays, I don't think we have maybe this kind of, of, of critics, I don't know. Well, we'll work on it. Oh, it, can, it, can hap it can happen that there is reviews who teach you something about your own film, sometimes, you know, and then you... You start to say, I mean, a good, um, a good text about a film has to be beyond the it's good or it's bad, you know? It's, to, it's like to make connection between, I don't know, paintings or theater or cinema. Sometimes, as a spectator, I love to read good text, not reviews. I, I, would I would like to say text, you know, about cinema. The textuality, I mean, it's, it's a, another leg um, that the cinema is working without... The, without the text of the, uh, the the critic text. You don't have cinema. I mean, we 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 need it. But when you just directed the movie, it's not like this. I mean, you're so stressed and everything. Me, I mean, maybe before, but yeah. but I. I uh, yeah. yeah. So this, the floor is yours. On what you were saying about about whether it's good or whether it's bad, I feel like that's where it all starts with film criticism. I was actually. Um, on board to become a PhD student of cinema before making films. And I feel like Siskel and Ebert, thumbs up, thumbs down, numbering system mentalities are the worst thing that could have ever happened to cinema writing because it's really about what are you seeing? You know, this is what I deal with with my students. Like, I don't want to hear if you like it or not. I want to, I want to know that you can write about what you're watching. So I don't necessarily feel that a lot of the writing about my work informs what I'll make next. But again, I think it's a really great lesson to find how people can synthesize what they're seeing out of your work, you know? So it's a great way to sort of generalize and be able to know what people's perceptions are. Um, but, you know, it's a really strange relationship because I really appreciate the work of critics and I think that they're some of our most committed cinema viewers, but at the same time, they're not filmmakers and they will never be filmmakers in some way. Some of them are fallen filmmakers. So there's this other relationship, you know? So like that guy that hates you, I'm just like, like I don't even know who he is, but I feel like he was a filmmaker <laughs> that had to become a critic and like, needs to take it out on someone, you know? So anytime there's like vengeance or something in a critique, I don't believe it, you know? And I sense an emotional attachment to that. That's not really, I feel that cinema criticism can always be objective about what you're seeing mm -hmm. and to sort of paint that. It's your job, it's great to paint the picture of what the experience is for someone else, but with words, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Absolutely. But uh, after I, I, I quote La Rochefoucauld, which is a philosopher, French philosopher who lived like three years ago, whatever you learn from others comes from the bad things that they think about you. You know, it's that this is how you learn about yourself. Some, some most of the time. <laughs> I will make a quote by uh, the father of Michael Caine, that uh, the actor, that one said, uh, "You should uh, you should keep your hate for the people you love." The others, uh, the the others doesn't deserve, don't deserve your attention. So this obsession with the films critics that uh, yeah. uh, you don't like, it's maybe losing time. So we, we end as always with La Rochefoucauld and Michael Caine's dad. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's all the time we have. Thank all of you so much. This has been really great.
You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Angie. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.